we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing, we've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm host Thomas O'Neill White, and with me today to talk about the city's City of Buffalo's blizzard response and her involvement in helping residents is retired Buffalo Police Officer Cariel Horn. Cariel, welcome back. Well, thank you for having me back. Was this holiday blizzard a Hurricane Katrina moment for the city? Why or why not? Um, it, it certainly was, um, just like um, someone said it was a snurricane. <laughs> a snurricane, yes, yes. Um, 35 deaths in the city of Buffalo, mm-hmm. uh, over 46 in Erie County. Um, and, and Carol, you, you, you were arrested yeah. during, during uh, rescue efforts. Uh, can you tell us what happened? Um, yeah, I actually was out um, during the... Um, well, this is after the blizzard. Um, the first day that the the snow, the blizzard stopped. Um, my ninety-seven-year-old father was without heat and electricity, and I was not able to get to him until Christmas Day, uh, when the the blowing snow and everything stopped. So um, that morning, I wound up getting over to him um, with the help of Miles Carter and David Lewis. And, um, of course, effort with neighbors, you know, helping or whatever. But right. either way it goes, I um, was out all day um, helping people, giving rides, um, shoveling, snow blowing. And that night um, I was actually on my way to my son's house to get a, a plate um, to eat. Mm-hmm. And I was going in the house for a few hours and um, then coming back out to see if, you know, anybody was out that, needed help or whatever. Either way it goes. I was riding down Bailey Street, and um, I noticed that the police had a car pulled over. Um, It had a trunk full of stuff, so my assumption was that the person was out um, looting. Right. So I saw the people on the ground, and I guess I was triggered because, you know, um, a body had been in the snow and ice, um for two days, and the police did not respond. Mm-hmm. So I actually was going to um, just get out and record, and basically being an advocate and activist, you know, I was basically going to speak on it. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't find my phone. So um, at that time, I didn't know that the person I had just dropped off had stole my phone, but I um, couldn't find the phone, and I um, just decided I would get out and just observe. Mm-hmm. And the cop, he came and asked, can he help me? And I said, yeah, I understand that these people were probably stealing, but you need to get them off the ground. 
and he just pointed in my face and said, you're going to be on the ground if you don't stop impeding my investigation. I basically said, you know, I didn't impede his investigation and that, you know, he needed to get the people off the ground. And then he pushed me and then I pushed him back um, and then he body slammed me and told me I was under arrest for putting my hands on him. And I said, I did, but after you put your hands on me. Do you think the officer recognized you and that maybe flipped the switch in the officer? Because, you know, let's let's be real. You're you're probably persona non grata within the uh, Buffalo Police Department. Well, he was nice at first and he quickly turned cold, just like that ice and snow. He was just that cold. So I'm not sure if he did. Um, but, you know, in the paper in the um, arrest paperwork. Um, I didn't give him my ID, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they they um they well they put my name wrong as, as Carol instead of Cario, but at the same time it you know they still gave me an appearance ticket without ID. And what uh what what were you charged with? Obstruction, disorderly, and harassment. The same things he should be charged with. If if I should be charged with it, he should be charged with it as well as Cario's law should be charged. Exactly, with that. and that's and that's what you are known for, and you're known for saving the life of of Neil Mac Jr. and and through all the trials and tribulations that you've been through, do you still feel that you are a target of the Buffalo Police Department? Oh, I know I've been a target. I know that my family has been a target. Um, it's just, I mean, like, who do you go to when you have a problem with the police, right? Yeah, yeah. This is Buffalo What's Next. Thomas O'Neill White here talking blizzard response with retired Buffalo police officer Carrie O'Horn. You did an interview with Democracy Now! Uh, yourself and uh, India Walton uh, about the blizzard, and you talked about senior housing units, and that's where your father was? Yeah, he was not at LBJ, but he was at a different one. But that just shows the issues that we have with the um, senior housing that have no backup generators. Yeah, can you can you get a little bit more into that? I mean, uh, apparently from what from what I read in Democracy Now, the buildings are ill prepared to handle the storm. Um, what what went wrong there? What did you see? Um, no backup generators. Number one, um, you have seniors that. In the LBJ, the, there was um, um, pipes that burst. There was water running down the uh, um, elevator. Um, so, like, you had to take the stairs. And uh, I don't know if it's only That's tough ten, on seniors. Yeah, I don't know if it's only 10 flights of stairs, but I do know that, you know, there is a 10th floor, so I'm not sure if there's anything above that. But when I went to um, the 6th floor, I was tired. Yeah. You know, yeah, so... yeah. So just to and and then I was walking with a guy and we had to stop like the third floor so he can get his breath. But he was there with his mom um, and he was telling me about because I said, you know, what's that smell? He said he worked in a hospital and that it was the smell of death. Oh, did you go there with uh, Miles Carter? He's a he's a he's a housing inspector as well. Yes. What, Yes. what, What was his thoughts on on the problems within the building? the the conditions were deplorable um they they were basically literally left to die 
do you have, and this is a this is a, a BMHA yes. housing. Yes. Um, have they said anything on the matter? Have they reached out to you? No, they haven't reached out to me because I haven't reached out to them. Miles was was um, dealing with them, so um, of course he would have to speak on that. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll have him on again. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as far as um, I know that the, the fire department did go there, and that BMHA was involved after the, after the fact. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what improvements they have made right now. What what improvements would you like to see? Well, first of all, we need backup generators, number one. Right. And then um, I understand that it was a storm, so I don't expect everybody to be miracle workers. But I expect that um, a building full of our seniors, especially BMHA, um, and not only BMHA, any of the senior buildings, they should be equipped to handle a situation like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, what's a what's a city if they can't take care of their most vulnerable? Exactly. Right? From your point of view as a as a retired police officer, why was the city, uh, why was why was Mayor Byron Brown so gung ho on catching looters? What's the methodology behind warning looters of repercussions while emergency services are slowed down to a halt? Um, I think that it was basically to take our focus off of what the the city, um, county, and state government did not do, um, which was to protect its citizens. Um, you know, it's it's. I understand how dangerous it was out there because mm-hmm. I tried to to get to my father and I couldn't um, without help. So I do understand. That, but I also understand that um, the effort that I did put into getting to my father um, without any help. So just to think of you have a team of people who supposedly is equipped because he did say that they that we were ready for the storm, even though um, the November storm, I saw um, plow trucks plowing. Who were plowing plow trucks? Mm-hmm. Other than another plow truck, right? So, how did those plow trucks get plowed in when we needed them? And if they were broken down, they should have been somewhere where they were being fixed. Yeah, it's it, it, if if anything, it seems like the the November storm was kind of a test run exactly for this holiday holiday storm, and it just seems like nothing was learned in between. I could be wrong because I'm not obviously well, on the ground. All, it, it shouldn't have taken that storm for us to learn anything because we get snow all of, every year. Every year around this time we get snow. So it should not have been a test run in November. We had many test runs. We should have been equipped. And as and I wanted to circle back real quick just the 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 warning of looters and this 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 police presence on the streets is that do you think that was necessary do you think it was warranted i mean yes people people are going to in situations like this they're going to you know try to do things try to get out for themselves and try to make you know steal tvs and stuff like that but there's people out there who are trying to get essentials 
So do you think that it was necessary to have like this police presence trying to catch every single looter and coming down hard on them and warning them via press conferences? Well, first of all, no, everybody's not watching a press conference. Maybe the people who stole the TVs could not watch press conferences. <laughs> but the um, to have a looter task force as opposed to having a task force to go and and do go down that call log, the nine one one call log. Um, it, it was crazy to me. It's like you have people who are literally dying in their homes on the street. But you decide that the looters is is the most important um, subject for you to deal with. I don't think that that was right. Um, I don't think looting was... It wasn't right, but in certain situations it wasn't wrong. When you're Yes, when you're trying to get essentials. I think we can all agree yeah, that... Yeah, like the that... grocery store um, decided... They, well, at, at one point, all these decided that they were not going to open. Mm-hmm. But it's like uh, then people would say, well, look, look what you did to your own neighborhood. But isn't a grocery store essential? So mm-hmm. why would you not open this? This food would have started going bad anyway after right. so much time. So not that someone should have gone in there and took the food and trash the place. Yeah. I don't agree with trashing the place at right. all. Right. Um, but if people needed food, I can't tell. I wouldn't have said, no, don't go take the food. You know, mm-hmm. I would have like, like in the situation with Jay who broke into the school, um, you know, he left a note. So, and he didn't trash the place and the people that were in there didn't trash the place. So they were looked at as good looters. Where, you know, you may have had someone, if the family dollar, everyone that went into there did not trash the place. Took what they needed and and got out. Right. But they're all looked at as bad looters. And it's like, what's the difference? Like, Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. with the people who just went and took what they needed, as opposed to Jay. You know, who's getting Super Bowl tickets, you know. Yeah. And, And is it because Jay is... Caucasian and the the looters that they focused on are black. Well, actually, they were not all black, but they focused on the black people without saying that. Right. And there was looting all over. Like even I heard that snowmobiles were taken, but we didn't. Did you hear about that? No. Nope. <laughs> um. We talked a lot about, or there was a lot of talk about a lack of warming centers. That's a that's a big problem. Um, what's what's your take on warming centers? Um, do we need one in every neighborhood? Of course we do. Um, there's a school in every neighborhood. There's a church in every neighborhood. Um, so there's a community center um, in just about every neighborhood. So the point is, there's places that people could places that could have been set up. I used to volunteer for the Red Cross when I was in the South. It was much easier in the South to to volunteer. Here, it's been like pulling teeth to volunteer. I called and got hung up on when I know how to set up the, the, the shelters. So only thing I would have needed was space and the, the necessary things that the Red Cross provides. And then I could have set up shelters. But... 
they hung up on me when I called. Nine one one. I um called because I said I have a plow truck. I have a um snowblower. I have the saw, I had the shovels, I had everything that I needed. I just needed to get out because the drifts blew over and plow uh, I mean and snowed in the plow truck. Um, where across the street there was like nothing. Yeah. So I could have parked across the street and just drove off. Same thing in my neighborhood. I could see <laughs> I could see grass across the street while while I had five feet of snow. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um what else what else needs to change before the next big storm? I mean, we're still we still have a long winter ahead of us. It's not even February yet. Um what else needs to change before the next big storm? Well, we need equipment that, that works, um, just like you have police districts. The um, plow trucks could have been in each district. Um, just a few in each district? Yep, and and basically going up and down the main streets. Um, I don't expect anyone to, like, um, go out to die, but, you know, it's like they're, if there were, like, warming centers or whatever, even if they plowed a little bit and stopped at the warming center or whatever. I don't know. But I'm just thinking that it didn't have to get as bad as it did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got a minute before we, we take a short break. Um, do And we can finish this uh, at the other end of the break, but do we need, as Denise Barr mentioned a few weeks ago, do we need neighborhood hubs where people can go ahead of a storm? Um ahead of a weather event to get to so they can hunker down with a roof over their heads with the centrals uh what do you think of that idea of course there's evacuation centers when um there's a hurricane so we need one during a hurricane right absolutely you're listening to buffalo what's next thomas o'neill white here talking storm response with retired police officer carrie o'horn we're going to take a short break, and we'll be with you on The Rebound. Hey, have you seen WNED PBS's Compact Science or Shakespeare's Greatest Hits? Here's five reasons to check them out. Compact Science is so fun, high energy, and educational that it won three prestigious awards, a communicator award, a telly, and an award from the New York State Broadcasters Association. And Shakespeare's Greatest Hits also received a communicator award and a telly for cinematically portraying some of Shakespeare's best monologues in bite-sized videos. Check them out at WNED.org or on YouTube. Toronto's Mervish Theater Empire has its roots in the opening of a retail store, Honest Ed's, in 1948. Explore the beginnings and exponential growth of Mervish Theatres in WNED PBS's original production, Toronto's First Family of Theatre. Watch it now on YouTube. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White, back with you. I am talking blizzard response with retired Buffalo Police Officer Cario Horn. Um, just getting back to that last point, uh, Denise Barr. Denise, wherever you are, hope you're listening. We love you. Um, 
she mentioned in a anchor Zoom call that we need hubs. We need hubs in every neighborhood uh, where people can go ahead of weather events or during weather events if they're able to, you know, if they lose power in their home, walk to these places and have a shelter over their head, have a roof over their head and have essentials uh, and just, you know, survive these weather events because it doesn't seem like it's going to get any better right now. Um, what do you think of that idea? Would would you do anything differently? Um, I would set it up like a, a Red Cross Center does when um, there's a disaster um, such as hurricanes. Um, you know, um, it's like a safe spot. Um, there's There will be backup generators. There will be food. There will be heat, electricity. Clothing. Um, clothing. Uh, everything that you need to basically um, survive um, on a short, short term short term basis, and then um, there should be programs in place where, if you know there's something coming, actually it, it should be done even like now, when there's nothing going on. Yeah, we should be working on that right now. Right, right, right. So we should um, have a list of places you can call. Um, a list of services, a list of places you can go. Can you tell me where the evacuation route goes? Me? Right now? Right now. No. <laughs> Neither can I. I cannot tell you where it goes. It goes from my bedroom to my couch in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the city yeah, evacuation no, I route. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, so how, how would you assess, because you were out there, um, you were out on those streets. How would how do you assess the response from residents to the storm in this city of Good Neighbors? Um, the residents, um, on the most part, they were helping each other. Um, even the looters, they were not breaking into um, their neighbor's house. They were going to the stores and taking what they felt like they needed or wanted. And they basically, as far as I saw, people were out helping shovel, helping snowblow, um, checking on their neighbors. Um, you actually had a great response from the neighbors because you understood that no other help was coming. How does that, when you say that, no other help was coming... When that sets in, how, how does that make you feel? Well, for me, I'm fine with it because I never felt like I had help coming. Wow. <laughs> so um, that's why I had um, generators and, and the uh, other equipment that I had. It's just I wasn't able to um, access it, which is also important because you have to be able to use the equipment that you have. Um, so I think in the future, for me, I would just basically have um, a backup team to basically help me to be able to help other people, which is what I was looking for when I called 911. Right. Like, I just need help getting out of here, then I can go and help not only my father, but the whole building of seniors. I would be remiss not to ask, but how is your father doing? He's fine. He's fine. He's, he'll be 98 next next month. Wow. <laughs> wow. Good for yeah, him. Yeah, he, he told me he almost froze to death, though. 
And That's the, scary. And, and for him to be a World War II vet, um, you went through World War II, and you lived 97 years, and I don't know how I would have taken it had he did freeze to death. But because of his age and experience, he understood how not to die. Um, survival skills. Yep. I want to pivot away from the blizzard real quick just because Darius Pridgen uh, announced that he would not be running for his common council seat uh, next election. Um, you live in Pridgen's district, Ellicott. Um, what do you what do you make of Pridgen's announcement? And um, you know, talk a little bit about you know, what he's done as a common council uh, member in your district. Um. Well, it was bittersweet for me to hear that last night um, because I think that um, in, in any public office that it can wear on you, so you could get burnt out. So I think that um, in, in that way that, you know, um, he's done things. Um, good things, especially helping pass Cario's law, mm-hmm. um, that I will always, like, appreciate. Um, and, yeah, I do live in his district now. Um, How long have you lived in the district? Um, since October. Since October. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what do you... What do you I guess it's, since it's only been October, you haven't seen, like, the growth through the years, but... When you talk to when you talk to your neighbors, when you talk to other residents in the district, um, how do they feel about the district? Um, they were actually um, telling me about you know how the street is is a good street um, and how it's quiet, and they all seemed to be pleased. The the neighbors that I've talked to. Um, so hopefully we can keep it that way in, a, in a, a district that is pleasing to the neighbors. Exactly. And and who who might step into that role as common council member for the Ellicott district? Mm, we shall see, right? We shall see. I mean, what, what, <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, what does that mean? That means that um, we shall see. Like... <laughs> Hopefully we can get someone in there who cares about the people. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to, I'm just going to mark that down. (laughs) Pridgen successor. Who could that be? Okay. All right. All right. (laughs) Um, And the, and the, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, and I know I asked you, Last time, and I couldn't even remember your response, and I know you don't remember your response, so it might be completely different now uh, in the few months uh, that it, that it's been since you last came on Buffalo. What's next? Um, what does Buffalo? What does Buffalo need? Is it has it changed at all, um, or is there any pressing needs from when you came on in October to now? Um. Buffalo needs um, city government that cares about the citizens. 
Can you break that down? In how many different ways do you want it chopped up? <laughs> two or three. Two or three if you can. Two or three if you can. Okay, we definitely need um, our city government who takes our taxes and, and puts it into, uh, or supposedly puts it into services that will help us run efficiently. We need um, those services available. Um, and, you know, um, during this blizzard, we saw what responses we need there. Um, we need... We need some. We need so many different things. <laughs> we need to have um, uh, everything that is available to one culture should be available to all cultures, um, and that's just to just put it broadly. Um, but even like um, recently, we met with the, the people from the Bangladesh. Um, community, mm-hmm. and they have a um, a community center that they want um, all people to be able to use, which is great. What but, neighborhood is this? Is this the Schiller Park neighborhood? The Bangladesh, wherever, where, where, mm-hmm. wherever they reside, but in, it's uh, it's off of Genesee, where the um, yes, the, where the um, uh, Jami Masjid community center is. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So they want to make that available to um, everyone which is, like I said, is great. Um, and then during the conversation, you know, the one guy is, is sitting next to me basically says that black people don't work together. And in some cases, he's, he's absolutely correct. But he basically sat there next to me telling me that basically telling we don't you own, own... Telling you your own business? It, we, no, not my own business. What he, his, what he thought was... Um, he basically was stereotyping mm-hmm. and he basically was saying like, we don't own anything or, and because of whatever reason. And I'm saying, well, that's not everyone. Mm-hmm. And he, then after that, I see uh, an article that basically says that they are going to um, not be fined for housing violations. Now, hopefully I read it wrong, but I don't think that that is right. You cannot get away with housing violations because you're doing good on the left-hand side. You have to do good on the right-hand side, too. You can't get away with housing violations. I can't get away with housing violations. So how could that be true? I wanted to ask you this question because you work a lot with Miles Carter and David Lewis. Shout out to those guys. Um, is there is there a disconnect between the black establishment in this city and these new black activists like a Miles Carter, like a David Lewis? Yeah. So like the mayor has his own set of activists that he uses when he goes um, on TV. He doesn't use the Cario horns or the Miles Carter or the Davis, David Lewis, Lewis's. Um, so he uses who he, he, who he deems is safe or use an or, um, organization that he deems is safe. That's why I just go by my own name, <laughs> Gary O'Horn, because when you hear from Gary O'Horn, it's coming from Gary O'Horn, not from an organization of who is, um, um, who has the 501c3 name mm-hmm. behind them. Um, so I'm not trying to like um, diss anybody, but I'm just trying to keep it real. Like, yes, you, we have to be able to work together. Um, but what's some, that going to take? 
what it yeah and so that was well, that was the meeting that we were at bridging the gap okay oh so, yeah uh-huh so um what it, it's going to take them to stop being so close-minded or um, want to keep everything to themselves it's like you have to listen like we are here on the ground we know what's going on um so you have to and or you should include us like you have um the mayor has activists who are on the ground but they don't see everything the way we see it because they are basically being um coddled you know mm-hmm. they they basically have the they're they're in the, the the graces of the mayor. I'm not in the graces of the mayor. Right. I don't um, care to be in the graces of the mayor. I just care to work so that we can all be. It cannot be fair. You know, everything can be. We can live peacefully. We only have so many years to live. So what's the point of trying to downgrade one set of people and uplift other people? It's it's only causing di- um. um divisiveness correct correct well put this is buffalo what's next i'm thomas o'neill white and i'm sitting here having another wonderful wonderful conversation with retired buffalo police officer cariel horn cariel um this has been a really lovely conversation again uh thank you for being with us thank you for having me again and you are listening to buffalo what's next on wbfo news WNED Classical has been conducting interviews of their own on YouTube with the classical music community. Have you ever wondered what goes into the performances you hear on WNED Classical? Head on over to our Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube page to see the collection of interviews that we've orchestrated. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. WNED-PBS can go everywhere you go with the WNED-PBS app. Go to the app to watch shows like Kleinhand's Gift to Buffalo, Frontline, and Compact Science. Even watch on the go with the WNED-PBS live stream and a 24-7 stream of WNED-PBS kids. You can also see the full television schedule and what's on right now from the app. Download the WNED-PBS app wherever you get your apps. Toronto's Mervish Theatre Empire has its roots in the opening of a retail store, Honest Ed's, in 1948. Explore the beginnings and exponential growth of Mervish Theatres in WNED-PBS's original production, Toronto's First Family of Theatre. Watch it now on YouTube. Hey, have you seen WNED-PBS's Compact Science or Shakespeare's Greatest Hits? Here's five reasons to check them out. Compact Science is so fun, high energy, and educational that it won three prestigious awards, a communicator award, a telly, and an award from the New York State Broadcasters Association. And Shakespeare's Greatest Hits also received a communicator award and a telly for cinematically portraying some of Shakespeare's best monologues in bite-sized videos. Check them out at WNED.org or on YouTube. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. 
Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And good morning. This is Dave Debo. On the program today, what realtors found when one realtor is white and another is black at an open house. I think most people of color probably have that story. Uh, it starts out saying, I was in a store, customer service was, was hovering, shopping while black. It turns out that there is something similar that's been going on at open houses where people sell homes. And the Buffalo Niagara Association of Realtors is not only aware of it, watching it, but put out a really cool video series about it. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Rosalind Bergen is here. She's president of the Buffalo Niagara Association of Realtors. Just sworn in this past Friday, she's the organization's first female person of color as president. She is the B in the MMB Realty Group. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about real estate and discrimination, and specifically, what was found at this open house. Rosalind, thanks for being here. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here. I, I started out with the, that tale of um, shopping while black, but I think the Board of Realtors has found something similar. Take me through the scenario. What happened, and, and how is it different from maybe the store scenario? So the agent was... Uh, going to do a preview of the house for his client. I guess his client was going to attend the open house. He couldn't go with her, so he went ahead. And as he walked through the house, he realized that every time he kind of turned around, the um, hosting agent was there. Mm. So he, you know, after a few minutes, he felt like he was being followed through the house. And they had a conversation, of course. He, the agent said, no, I'm not following you pretty much. I'm just, um, you know, I'm I just watching everything you do. <laughs> no, I just want to be here in case you yeah, have questions. Yeah. So, And I suppose it makes sense to think that that sort of thing happens because we've all heard the story of, of racial discrimination. If a realtor was going to do that in particular against a buyer, why wouldn't that realtor do it against another realtor? It makes and, yeah. I'm not saying it's right, obviously, but it makes right. sense. And I, th I, this was actually the first scenario of blatant, you know, I'm following you, or I, I I've never been followed in an open house, and mm. I don't know. And you've been in the business how, how long? Uh, sixteen years. Okay, all right. So don't know how common that would be because again, a realtor's hosting an open house. To build their business and sell the house, not all right, and to realtors. educate on this topic and to combat this, you created a reenactment, a documentary almost, yes. a video series that shows what this particular realtor went through. We have a clip from that. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Mind signing in for me? Oh, here. I'm an agent. Oh, do you mind some signing in? Oh, okay. Thanks. Are you following me? No, no. I just want to make sure you, you know, you don't see your way around. Okay, you know I'm, a, I'm an agent, though, right? Yeah, yeah, totally fine. Just want to make sure I'm here if you have any questions. I've seen a lot of houses. I know my way around, so. Totally fine. I, I, you not supposed to be still waiting for others to come in? No, it's okay. I'll, I'll get back to them. Okay, I just thought it was an open house. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks. And the person in that uh, reenactment 
is Craven Weeks. He's a local realtor. It actually happened to him. And after you created that one video series, he sat down with your vice president, Brenda Alacy. I walked up to the property and actually before I walked up to the property, I was watching individuals walk into the property from the garage entrance of this uh, raised ranch and seeing how he interacted with them. So when I walked up, I expected the same type of uh, response from him. At first, I was pointed out the different rooms in the lower level, which is, you know, normal. But then when he followed me to the, one of those rooms to explain some things, I kind of was like, you know, okay, I got it because I've experienced looking at homes all the time. And then when I uh, proceeded to go upstairs, he was following behind me, and I found that kind of strange because he was posted up in the garage with a sign-in sheet expecting other open house uh, uh, people to come in. So it started to get a little strange from there. I imagine it did. Uh, you, you say you've never seen something like this right. before, this blatant? That blatant. Okay. Yes. But it happens. It happens. Before we went on the air, you were sharing a story about yeah. one of your um, instances where a neighbor came up and said, ooh, person of color in my neighborhood, what's going on here? Right. So, And, and that's what we usually, usually see is someone from the neighborhood, um, someone may call the police— you know, really? Um, Not yeah. just, hello, uh, what are you doing here, but actually well, call the police? We assume that the police, and they could just be patrolling the area, but... When we, they show up. They stop and wow. say, what are you doing here? Or it's, you know, it's, it's an, uh, that, that's probably more common than... Realtor on realtor. The realtor on realtor, yes. Excuse my naivete, how often does it happen? I would say that... If you spoke to any realtor of color, and that's not just black, but Asian, um, uh, you know, any black, brown yeah. realtor, you may, they, they will tell you that they've experienced something mm. of a nature, what they felt was discrimination. Right. And you mentioned again before we went on the air that, that the pool of realtors in, in greater Buffalo is really becoming very diverse. Very diverse, extremely, yes. Does that help sell certain neighborhoods? I think it helps. Uh, you know, we talk about diversity and inclusion all the time. So having that diverse pool of realtors makes helps to sell properties. I think it helps to sell, period. I've had uh, Asian clients that I've had to reach out to one of my uh, age, another agent realtor to get assistance, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, to we have a language barrier, a communication barrier, so it would help to have trust another yeah. agent. Cultural literacy, yes, uh, a connection, right? Yeah. That that does make sense. Yeah. Um, to what degree has the real estate industry really now started to embrace DEI? I'd say over the last two years. Um, you, we started a DEI committee, and I think we are one. We were one of the first mm. associations to create actually de a dedicated DEI committee, um, which Brenda is actually our director of DEI. Brenda so this particular video series springs out of that, not just the idea that you're 
the new president, and of color. No, I think it's all kind of the same timing, but the DEI committee, um, as we talked about what should we do, what can we do to just start the conversation, I, I do believe there's some people don't even realize because it's been such a systemic thing that it's how they live. It's mm -hmm. how they see people of color, that that's how they were raised, and they don't really, it's not racist, because no one would, most people won't say, I'm, I'm a racist. Yeah, no. yeah, you ask them, and yeah. of course they're not. Of course not. I have not. black friends. Yeah, uh, and that, right. I did make a phone call about um, the open house situation, and of course, you know, the, the broker said, oh, no, no, the, the, that's he not what never, happened. Yeah. That oh. wasn't why he did it because he was on medication. He was walking the house because he was on medication. Yeah. Really? Yeah. The the realtor in question, not not Craven Weeks. Yeah, the realtor in question. Wow. Some health challenges. This video series came out maybe two weeks ago. What's the response been? We've had some um, people that have felt like. Oh, that really happens. It's the racism in that we experience is shared among ourselves. Usually, um, it's not the DEI committee kind of helped to bring it out to light and to start that conversation. And there were, you know, we have a very diverse group of committee members, and there were some committee members very surprised that, wow, that right. happened. To Can't some, however, it. used to the daily microaggression, yeah. it was probably not a surprise. Yeah, that, yeah, I, I couldn't say, but okay. I'm sure. Were you shocked? Pardon? Were you shocked? I was shocked about the open house one, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was odd. I could see, you know, the neighborhood, I don't want you in my neighborhood type thing that happens, hmm. you know, that's going to continue to happen probably, but... Um, this no. idea of it being realtor on realtor, yeah. that, that to you made a difference. Yeah. Okay. When we return from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about neighborhood selling, east side of Buffalo, racism that realtors encounter. Rosalind Bergen is here. She's with MMB. She's the B, Bergen, MMB Realty Group. But she's also the president, recently sworn in, of the Buffalo Niagara Association of Realtors. More conversation after this. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. In the 1960s, the air of resistance and turbulence helped create hip-hop. Hip-hop became our voice that was for so long silenced. Fight the Power begins Tuesday, January 31st at 9 p.m. on WNED-PBS. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And this is Dave Debo. Rosalind Bergen is with us. She's the newly sworn-in president of the Buffalo Niagara Association of Realtors. And it's kind of a historic event. She is the first woman of color to hold that position. 
recently sworn in this past Friday. Before the break, we were talking about this video series that the association has put out on realtor on realtor discrimination. That, you said before the break, was shocking. The other side of the coin, very much less so. Yes. Do you find racism has reached the point where it's hard to sell certain neighborhoods? Not just people coming up to you and, and hello, what are you doing here? But um, no, I'd, I'd never live there because of X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Um. No, I mean, people have preferences. People, you know, clients of color, um, they have preferences to where they want to live. Uh, I live in the university district. And my daughters would say, Mom, you can't live on that street. I'm like, yeah, okay, I won't live on the street. I'm going to live in my house. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, so that's pretty common. I don't think the racism affects... Um, where people buy or how they buy, it does affect, well, do I want you in my neighborhood? Um, but the east side of Buffalo is becoming pretty diverse. I was going to ask you about that. Yes. What kind of resurgence have you seen over what period of time? So, if, if, it's, if it's fair to call it resurgence, yeah, you tell me. I, it's been maybe the last... I'd say four or five years, you're, we're starting to see a change um, in the makeup. More homeowners, actually, more people buying in the east side. Um, so. Because of the, the neglect for so long, I imagine the disinvestment makes for bargains. Yes. And, I mean, Buffalo, we're western New York. We are. We were ranked the fifth best place to purchase for first-time home buyers because our purchase prices are pretty sure. low uh, compared to other cities in the country. So, What causes, and th this is a broad question, forgive me for um, <coughs> saving it toward the, the back end of the program where we mm -hmm. probably don't have time to truly delve into it. What causes segregation? Well, I don't know. I moved here in 1995 from Syracuse. And I didn't pay that much attention. Maybe growing up as a kid, I knew our family was the first black family to move into our neighborhood. But um, moving here to Buffalo as an adult, I realized that, you know, it was the separation of the neighborhoods, you know, mm. whether it was on South Buffalo, East, West, um, you could tell it was based on... They are very strongly defined. Yes. More so than other places. Yes, Okay. absolutely. What would it take to change that? Well, I think it's changing now. Really? Okay. I honestly believe it's changing now. Um, I've sold... I've Well, 15 years I've sold all over Buffalo. Mm. I've sold... I've had clients, you know, uh, African-American clients who insisted they were going to live in South Buffalo. Um, so it's kind of uh, all over. It's mm. starting. Talk about the housing stock. Talk about um, all the vacant land that we hear is on the east side. How do we transcend those two issues? So I know that um, we've partnered with the city of Buffalo, Land Bank, and Evans Bank, and a developer to actually start a project of building seven new homes on the land on the lots in the city of buffalo 
So I think as if once that project's successful, we'll start seeing other people look and say, you know, uh, wow, we could do that. The city has quite a few lots. Part of uh, the narrative, I think, is that, oh, it's hard to get the vacant lot. It just sits there vacant. Talk about the process. So the this program, <clears throat> the city transferred the lots to land bank. So I think it was a col- collaboration. But I talk to clients all the time. If you're interested in a city lot, we just have to do a little bit of research. There's a certain criteria you have to meet. You have to tell give the city a plan, which would make sense. You know, you don't want them, you don't want someone buying a lot and then just leaving it vacant, doesn't do anything with it, if it's not associated with their current home. Um, So it is a process, but it is doable. Talk about homeowner classes, first-time homeowner classes, financial literacy. So um, MMB, we do seminars. Actually, we have one coming up February 18th, I think if that's a Saturday. So home buying seminars are going on in different areas. And there's a lot of information out there for first-time home buyers. Um, you know, it, I, I suggest that you attach yourself with a realtor at least to find out where to start. Mm. You know, what should I do? Because yeah. It's easier than, you know, it's a process, but it's definitely with the right guidance. There's no such thing. If you work every day, you pay rent, you can be a homeowner. And I've heard that uh, some people even involve a mortgage broker at the start of the process. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's always good to find out where you're at. You know, you some people under the impression I can't even think about buying a home unless I have $20,000 saved in the bank. That's yeah. not true. So you've got to talk to someone, some professional, that can tell you where you're at in the process. Is there a formula? That, that's interesting to me because I've been one of those people. I've said, you know, we just don't have enough set aside to make this work. How large of a down payment is required? How low does it go? So it depends if you're – I mean, I've had a client that closed and only had to bring $125 to closing. No way. Wow. <laughs> you know, so – it really depends on the individual and if what their if their grants out there if their closing cost assistance out there there's lots of programs that you just need to talk to a professional and not be afraid i think that's that fear of i can't be a homeowner if you work and you pay rent and if your credit's not good your credit can be fixed also. Mm. So it's 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 just a process. It's no such thing as, no, I can't own my home. What neighborhoods are hot right now? All of them. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're all hot. Yeah, yeah. It, it, again, there's, there's low inventory and um, inventory somewhat low. But there's, I think it's because we're seeing rent prices go up. So more people are thinking. Ah, if I'm paying more for rent, maybe I can't afford that mortgage. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Especially, again, in western New York. I mean, remembering we're the fifth best place. Buffalo was ranked fifth. What's the time on market looking like lately? Is Is it a seller's market or a buyer's market? I think it's still a seller's market, but it, we we have seen a shift where now you may see houses sit on the market a little longer than, um, say, six months ago. What, what effect did COVID have? 
I think COVID's the reason that we have the low inventory. I, you know, that that's when we started seeing the uh, less people going to sell their house. But in real estate, it's a combination of everything. You know, it's a combination of the change in interest rates. It was the low interest rates, you know, put out, you know, created a lot of buyers. Like mm-hmm. I can get a mortgage and pay 3.5%. And interest. Okay. So that, you know, that was before the increase. Yeah. So. My last question um, maybe ties back to the initial discussion of racism. Uh, you can answer it uh, any way you would like. It's a very broad question. The latitude is yours. What does Buffalo need? Communication, education. I, you know, they call Buffalo the city of good neighbors. And truly, even with the Tops Massacre, you could see how the community came together. And I, I now I see any protests. It's not years ago in the 60s or, you know, protests. You, you've seen lots of all the pictures you see African-Americans protesting. Mm. Now look at some of the protests and how they've shifted. And they're very diverse. You have a mixture of, of race you said, and protests. You said there needs to be communication. Uh, yeah. Define that a little more for me. Just with each other. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, talking to each other. That's why part of our diversity, DEI and the board, was to get generate com- communication amongst realtors, um, learn that the cult- there are cultural differences, but it's just you have to understand them and know what they are and be comfortable with it. If you're communicating with a person and that person's in front of you and you know them, then theoretically they're a person. Right. And you're not going to put up those walls. Right, exactly. Rosalind, this has been fun. Yeah. Thanks very Thank much you. for being here. No, thanks for having me. Rosalind Bergen is the newly elected president of the Buffalo Niagara Association of Realtors. Again, a historic moment there because she is not only the first woman, but the first woman of color to hold that position. If someone wants more information on the association, is it bnar.org? Yes. All right, very good. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, W-O-L-N Olean, and W-U-B-J Jamestown. Thanks for being with us. I'm Dave Debo. Tomorrow on the program, it's Friday, we'll bring you our regular Producers Picks program, a chance to hear highlights of interviews from earlier in the series. And then, of course, on Monday, we'll be back with a whole new collection of guests for you right here on Buffalo What's Next. <laughs>